This is Family Office Intel at Denton's, the place where we discuss developments currently shaping the industry and actionable ideas for advisors, executives, and families. We share uncommon knowledge from insiders for the modern family office. I'm Edward Marshall, Global Head of Family Office here at the firm. The following is a conversation with Francois Botha and Doug Fritz. Francois is based out of Copenhagen, Denmark, and he's the founder of Simple, a next-gen market intel and insights lab and with a global perspective, focusing on family offices and private investors uh, to professionalize and help them be future-ready. Uh, his professional background includes over 15 years in the tech and strategy consulting space. He grew up in a family business and is very familiar with the nuances of the intersection of family and business. He also writes for Forbes.com on family offices. Doug Fritz is the founder of F2 Strategy and a former wealth management chief technology officer. His team of experienced wealth management executives uh, address a winding gap between the expectations between affluent clients and their wealth management experience. The F2 Strategy perspective comes from a long line and long history of innovations and transformative uh, technical projects, working at some major financial institutions F2 Strategy also manages the Wealth Tech Innovation Board, uh, a think tank comprised of over 70 top wealth management uh, chief technology officers, CTOs, and COOs, and innovation executives. He also uh, participates as a thought leader, a conference speaker, and a judge for multiple industry awards. Today, our discussion will cover several areas, including top pain points in the family office tech uh, space, as well as potential remedies. We'll talk about building a tech stack for a single-family office and a multi-family office. Uh, we'll also discuss trends in the family office tech space globally, consolidated reporting, and then the future of family office tech. All right, let's get started. Doug, uh, up to you first. Uh, how'd you get your start in the in the uh, family office space? Thanks for having me, Ed. I think uh, yeah, I think a lot of people in this space. I, I started on the institutional side in Wall Street um, first on international equities, and then moving into wealth in my career. Um, and I've worked at a number of, of larger firms serving multiple families and and really got a close understanding of uh, how unique and how challenging it is to support uh, the family office space with great technology. Um, you know, what's built for the masses just simply doesn't work for complex multi-generational families that have a, have a global conscious. Francois, over to you. How did you get your start in the, in this space? Yeah, hi, Eddie. Thanks to be here. Uh, great to be here today. Um... I think I kind of fell into the space. So I was uh, asked by a former client of mine to join on a project uh, as part of a professionalization of a Norwegian family office. And um, the entry point here was very much from the kind of non-financial aspects. So coming from a kind of managing partner at a management consulting background, we look more at the business strategy, owner strategies, operational aspects, communication and technology. So I really entered family offices, not from a CIO investment angle first. Well, listen, uh, Doug, let's let's kick it off with some of the the key features and key issues that we we talk about this in this space, and that's and that in particular is around pain points. What are some of the biggest tech pain points that you're seeing for single family offices out there today? Yeah, the the, the biggest pain point when we talk to single family offices, especially like complex multi generational uh, family offices is that for possibly decades, possibly, you know, decades of decades, uh, the, the, the spend on infrastructure, on their technology and organizing their data, on bringing together all the disparate 
uh, pricing sources into some level of control has been seen as an expense and is an expense that has been intentionally reduced to improve the financial outcomes of the family. And so I don't blame anybody. I don't, uh, you know, I don't, I don't criticize. It's probably a decision that I would have made myself. Uh, but for, for, you know, possibly a generation or two generations, the, the infrastructure to support the the data around their investments has not been put in place and so these firms are are looking at the future possibly a, a, a gen 3 trans transition of some of the wealth and the experience and the clarity and the, the timeliness and actually to some extent now the expense associated with managing uh the data and the assets in the family are are massive and a lot of times they just come knocking and say hey you know make us efficient our you know one of our our uh Gen 3s is talking to a multifamily office that has all this great reporting and trying to make the case that we need to shut the single family office down and go to multifamily office because it can do it better for less money. Um, and it really imperils the, those firms. And they're looking at a, a very steep learning curve. They're looking at a, a pretty massive check that they're going to have to write to catch up. And it, it's putting a lot of single family offices um, really at risk of, of uh, not being really terribly relevant in the next generation. Are there anything in terms of best practices around fixing some of those issues that you've seen out there? Yeah, I think I think lining up with, um, you know, a, a accounting system is probably the first one. And it sounds silly for anybody that's not in the family office space that so many of these hundred million dollar plus organizations can run off of Microsoft Excel, but and, and maybe QuickBooks, which is the the the, the norm. Um, but but having an accounting system that can pull in data, organize it visually. Uh, provide disparate views of risk and allocation and revenue and projections for individual family members or generations within the family is probably the first step. Um, there's things like bill.com that will help with some of the automation of the payments and receivables. Um, but uh, what we see first is folks going to a, a proper accounting system. And it's not just a performance accounting system to sort of look at the rear view mirror and see what happened. Um, really, it's it's uh, it's general ledger accounting plus performance, and those are there's not a ton of those around, um, but it's a good first step. It's sort of an all-encompassing first step. Francois, over to you for the multifamily office perspective. What what are some of the pain points that you're seeing in that space? Um, I think that the multifamily office space is super interesting right now because we we kind of see the shift happening in the space also with. Uh, you know, some single family offices becoming multifamily offices. So there is definitely an overlap in terms of technology kind of pain points and use from the single family office to multifamily office space. And I think there's learnings happening both ways. What has worked really well in a single family office, it's translatable into a multifamily office space. Or what can we take from, you know, proper multi-client management and bring that into the family office software space as well. So I think that, the main problems in this in this industry is really um, what we've often seen is the, this idea of fit between client and service provider, uh, which kind of translates into I would say three or four areas that that make for a good or a bad fit, uh, and it is this idea of transparency. So uh, often providers are kind of learning from family offices this idea of transparency or not really sharing you know, specifically what they're good at uh, to try and kind of just play into whatever those family office needs are rather than being super focused and clear on what, they, what they're excellent at solving, uh, which also translates into this area of comparability. Often products aren't really comparable. So 
it's very difficult to, to know what the difference between product A and product B is. And all of this just kind of makes this idea of fit between uh, the client and the provider very difficult to find. Um, we've also seen the from the positioning uh, angle, there's been um, very, very unclear positioning. So the idea of you know, everything from a aggregation product to a um, internal communication product is kind of marketed as the only product your family office needs. So uh, rather than saying we're really good at doing you know, A, B or C. So I would say that main pain point is also around products trying to do too many things rather than focusing on that one thing and being super clear on what that is. Have you seen anybody get that right, right? Whether it's the scoping issue that you mentioned or it's the issue around um, fit for what they actually need. Have you seen anyone do that well, either in Europe or in uh, other parts of the world that you work? I think that there are a couple of products out there that are becoming, um, you know, I wouldn't say products that have pivoted, but that are becoming a lot clearer on what it is that they do. So products that have started out as you know, potentially a full service solution that's becoming uh, rather, you know, an aggregation product. PCR Holdings, they're one of them. Uh, I think it's PCR Holdings. Um, started off as a kind of a reporting product and kind of more of a aggregation tool these days. So offering that aggregation service to other products out there. Um, there are several other products that I think are more on the communication side of this rather than doing the aggregation part of the work as well. And I think there it's just about having products that can connect uh, with each other. Doug, from uh, from a single family office perspective, technology can sometimes or even quite often be overwhelming. Blank sheet of paper, you're asked to start, uh, set up a family office from the tech side. What would you do and why would you do it? Uh, I think the the foundational, you know, we, and we just have, we have a, a multi-family office in, in Chicago. We just took, took live for the first time this year. So it's sort of, uh, right up there but the, the the first thing that you do is is establish a, a a connection to the market typically that's with a custodian or a trust company uh someplace that can park those assets and be your advocate a lot of times because of the way that it fees and a lot of the, the breadth of some of those those firms how, how far they can go uh, even you know global ordinary uh you know priced on market assets in the in the portfolio um is sort of the gateway to what you're going to be able to do um so typically that's going to be a, a larger custodian or it's going to be a trust company, um, you know, a larger custodian that has a, a global footprint that can also be an advocate for you, can also provide value add services to help you get things set up, get your reporting set up, um, help you navigate the some of the reporting uh, and technology decisions that you've got. That's really, and all the major ones do. I think you, you sort of pick it based on how, how you feel about those organizations and how you, you know, how, how long they're going to be with you and what their other clients say about them. Um, a lot of times you see people make those early decisions just based on cost. And a lot of times the, the lower cost is actually coming with a, a lot lower service level and level of support. So I don't advocate for spending more for no reason, but someone's going to you know, be my partner and spend five hours a week helping me to get things set up, helping me along the way. Like that's probably worth a lot of money personally versus getting it wrong um, or having to hire, you know, dare I say an outside consultant like my own company. So um so I think that's it, the blank sheet of paper. Um, and I think the other thing I would do, maybe with on the margins of my blank sheet of paper, is it's 2021. 
if you're not organizing and bringing your own data in, you got to think of like a generation out and everything that we're going to want to do as a firm, not probably even bigger than single family offices is probably bigger than even the wealth management industry is going to be foundational on data and getting access, quick access to your data, secure control of your data. Um, and so it's a, it's a real focus that I don't think even, even today in 2021, I still don't see a lot of single family offices spending a lot of time and money on it. And it's, I think it's, it's going to be the, the steep hill these these firms are going to have to climb five years from now as as what we can do with that data comes to market faster. Right now, you know all the fancy buzzwords that there there are some on the market, but there's not a ton. You know, five years from now, there's going to be a lot more here and a lot more capability for for family offices to be able to hitch onto if they have their data right. And it's not something you can get overnight. So I, I would encourage anybody starting their their office right now to start with good custodial partner and really consider access to your data. So access to the data. What about the flexibility portion to adapt to the future? Uh, I don't think family offices want to be in the business of uh, having to build something and then scrap it in a couple of years and start all over again. How do you build in that adaptability? Yeah, that's actually the case for data because once you have access to your own data, you're not limiting the amount of and, and depth of future technology you can bring in house. Uh, if you're if you're with an accounting system and that's it, any, any kind of new reporting system or like hypothetically, the Gen three wants to use their Oculus glasses to analyze the historical uh, allocation, return, and cash flow of the portfolio over ten year time period. It's not even a you know five years ago that was a crazy idea. You know, 2020 that's not that crazy. A lot of people are playing the Oculus games with their kids. Like technology's come a long way. Um, you're going to be beholden to that accounting firm to build that app today if you don't have your own data, right? And and how, who knows how long that that, that, that firm is gonna get that uh, technology up and running. It could be another five years. If you have your own data, you can plug into those other outside apps, um, data sources. You can actually emancipate yourself from your current vendors because you, you, they don't have your data. A lot of times vendors will, will, will provide you with your access to your data as part of the cost. But in the small print of the contract, it says things like, you know, you have an you have a offloading charge, and an offloading charge is you know one x the annual license cost of the software. So like, if you want to leave me, you're basically paying me. It's like ransomware, right? You're paying me to leave you. Um, you know, if you start from scratch with your own data, it, you can go anywhere, and the cost to go anywhere, and the cost to plug in a new technology is dramatically lower. Francois, it, what's the reality of owning your own data and the ability when you walk into as a former management consultant? you know, put that hat back on, you walk into an existing technology solution that a family office, single or multi has put together. You know, what are your thoughts, initial thoughts that are there? Um, I completely agree with, with Doug on this, that I think that the idea with data being, um, being owned, but also portable is definitely the future. And we see it in, in, our, in general tech today, how different products integrate with each other, APIs, opening up data, so we can actually pull data from one service and kind of overlay it on another service. So this is happening today already. Um, and I think the, the first thing that we have to kind of understand is what is this data that's flowing around? Where is it going? And how do we kind of manage that? Because as, as powerful as this data will be in future, this is also one of those kind of major risks. Who's got access to this data? And uh, I mean, a simple example would be uh, trying to kind of keep all your data on a single platform. And then somebody emails a PDF to their 
uh, mobile device. Suddenly all your data is off and this mobile device doesn't have the right uh, authentication on it. So suddenly all your reports are you know, available for the public to see. So anybody who picks up this device can have access to all of your data. So the question around data is just how do you, how do you manage this flow? And you know, that, that's just on practical level, but also on a kind of geographical level, is there a reason why data should be in a specific geographical area? Uh, what does that mean for, for your organization? What does that mean for the services that you use or connect to this data? As products become more interoperable with these APIs, uh, how do you decide which products can you connect with? Uh, and who do you grant access to this data? You talk about security. That's certainly an important area. I, I would think many would argue that we're creating more and more touch points, more and more attack surfaces with every single device and, and, and program that we're working with. So how do, we, how do we work with family offices to balance that need for speed uh, without exposing them uh, to the massive risk and threats that you, that you alluded to earlier? I would say today our understanding of um, aspects or ideas around identity management is becoming a lot clearer uh, and the value of proper identity management. So uh, in my opinion, one of the first things to get right is, is just that part. Uh, proper identity management of everybody involved in the family office, plus uh, external providers, uh, some solid multi-factor authentication to ensure that, you know, if somebody logs onto a device that's unsecured, access to systems can be re revoked uh, and that you don't have anybody having access to systems that shouldn't have access to that. So I think that is the first part of this. Uh, the second part would also be uh, looking at, for example, different services that have access to this data. So there's a human part and then the kind of service part. So services that have access to your data, what's happening with their kind of storage? How do they connect to this data? What's the security around that? I think those are the two fundamental questions that have to be addressed right from the start when you're looking at uh, the kind of data system stack that you use within your, uh, within your tech stack. Um, there's a lot of work that's been done around this. I think that legislation, for example, around consumer data protection and GDPR, these have been instrumental in us understanding the impact of data and data flows a lot better. So I think in a couple of years time, this would be something that is just kind of built into business as we know it. Privacy laws obviously vary by jurisdiction and other things. What have you seen as legislation has certainly gone a little bit of ahead in different parts of the world, uh, perhaps with some of your clients more than others, where do you see that uh, today and, and what's the reality of uh, that type of privacy legislation and, and its effect for family offices? Yeah, there's certainly different countries taking very different views on this. Uh, I would say it's a very tricky <laughs> consideration to to look at because uh, in the nature of family offices, we, we often see global organizations, so organizations that are operational in different jurisdictions. So there's a lot of considerations to be had there. Um, on the technology part of this, I would say that it's, it's also a challenge for vendors. So technology vendors um, often position themselves to family offices on this you know, global solution provider. Uh, basis, but not necessarily understanding all the nuances of a specific market and the privacy laws or uh, data protection laws that are in play in a specific market. So 
Uh, I think that we've seen more vendors also uh, getting a better understanding of what is actually involved in, in, in expanding into a new market with this data privacy or the, or the consumer, consumer data protection part of the, of the business. Doug, I want to come back to your comments on owning your data, specifically because I go back to what you, you mentioned in terms of family office starting with, uh, you know, with a, a spreadsheet and building from there, or the MacGyver approach of getting everything done on, uh, with the, the least amount of resources. How do you actually own your data when, when you're starting from there or you, you've got disparate systems that are coming together like that? That's a good question. Um, so the, there, there are a couple of ways to do it. One, you have, uh, you've found a technology and a vendor that is, has a significant amount of capability around housing and storing your data. And I, I don't want to call out vendors specifically. Um, the, the other way to do it is work with a smaller um, consulting firm to build out your data architecture that can bring in all of your data and put simple low cost tools on top of an Amazon secure Amazon VPN access data architecture. Um, and so I, I like that model. I think that model, because you have a, 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 a structure and a secure location for your data, you're still using applications, you know, upstream and downstream from that data, but you're, you own it. And so if, if for some reason you want to switch those vendors, like you, you truly have options to move quickly by plugging some other vendor into that and snipping off your old one. Um, so I think that that's the that's the the best that I've seen. You know, if you're not going to go with a vendor, go with a, a an integration firm that can help you set up something in typically in the cloud. And I think people maybe five years ago would say the cloud that's not secure. Man, have you have you seen thumb drives? <laughs> they can and people walking away with data like that's really not secure. And and um, I do think that on the whole, I think if if configured correctly, um, cloud accessible data is. Is this as secure or more secure than anybody's going to have on their physical hardware? So what about uh, family businesses that have embedded family offices? Things are intertwined. You see this in a lot of you know, folks that haven't had that liquidity event, but they're operating like a family office and supporting the, the, the entities that are there. How do you work with the different elements of technology that are separate and somewhat distinct from the operating company's objectives uh, the, on the business side versus the business of taking care of the family office. Yeah, at some point you have to divide that. Um, from a legal and fiduciary standpoint, you, you need to have a, a separate and distinct entity with separate controls and separate, you know, even if you have to just put on a different hat when you're logging into a different tool, that you do need to, you need to have some level of separation of, of church and state there. Um, but I think my, my main point, I think on, on on this, I, this is, you know, I live in Silicon Valley. So I, we talked to a lot of people, a lot of newly wealthy or, or sort of modern wealth generator people and the, the, the management of their, of their personal and family wealth, um, is not psychologically distinct from the mission and purpose of the companies that they either found or they support. It, it's a really fascinating psychological difference and um, it, it really is almost almost a blurring of the lines, intentional blurring of the lines of the psychology of that wealthy person to say, look, my wealth, I, I, I have made more money than I would ever anticipate. I don't actually have some sit on the beach, you know, let my money work for me kind of a personality that's just not who I am. 
um, I'm going to work and invest and be smart and make changes in this world until my very last breath. I want my, my wealth to support the business, um, not the business to support my wealth. And it is a, a bizarre psychological shift that requires, um, I think, a, a retooling and a rethinking of how technology and business interoperate. Um, that I don't think we've, 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 and I don't know if this is a, a Silicon Valley thing. I've been told, no, this is just innovation economy and, and wealth generation across the world now. I hope it is because I, 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 I love it. Um, but I don't think it's something that the, that the technology space is really ready to, to take on. Um, so just tactically, you know, separating it, having a different QuickBooks account for your, for your family wealth and your business wealth, that's not difficult to do. Uh, or establishing different entities within that so that your accountant can actually manage them separately and, and keep track of taxes and, and the asset valuations separately. That That's clearly, you know, one step. Um, but as you move into more professional management or as you move into, you know, generational wealth, um, uh, you know, or, or overly complex business entities that are now no longer associated with the business, we had a, we had a capital transaction. Now we're going to go buy, you know, real estate property that isn't owned by the business, it's owned by the, by the individual that, that's just more a matter of separating church and state and having have, making sure that you're accounting for those things differently. But again, on that on the uh, you know innovator economy, it doesn't. It's very difficult to divide those things. What about Francois? Doug talked about uh, the the lens of what's happening in the Bay Area. What trends are you seeing in family office tech uh, and the tech space in general outside uh, of the United States and in Europe in particular? Uh, firstly, I think that Doug, spot on. I think this 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 mindset of running your wealth like a business is one that we're seeing all around the world. So it's kind of the shift between the shift from family business to becoming a business family, and that is a a real shift that needs to to happen. It's a mindset shift as well. But I think there's also this interesting space where if you if you come from a from a family business, there's Maybe some preferred tech stacks that you want to kind of bring over into your now new found family office that might not look like the family office of 10 years ago because uh, it's more of a startup style family office potentially if you come from you know a tech background for example. So uh, I think that that shift really supports some of the trends that we're seeing in Europe and I'm, I believe it's you know potentially also all around the world is. This idea of you know building up a tech stack for family office, so different products that can plug into each other. So you would have a combination of kind of your um, your more ge general uh, products that you would run a business with, uh, whether that is your preferred kind of internal communication system or your preferred kind of workspace uh, tools, and then specialist products. So. There is this trend of products becoming more specialized rather than trying to do everything within the family office space. So um, as I mentioned earlier, it could be just looking at the aggregation part of this. It could be you know, products specialized on specifically risk. Uh, it could be products that are specialized on a specific class of assets. So potentially a product on, let's say, VC, managing the VC investments. Um, so really kind of specialized products, but that can operate within this this ecosystem of your existing tech stack. Also, there's been, a, I think, a shift with products that have traditionally been only financial products to also include more non-financial aspects. So we've certainly seen a lot of products in the um, in the Euro in Europe that's been including impact or just the measurement of various non-financial aspects. 
around your investments. So I think that's a different uh, kind of trend that's definitely not not going to slow down anytime soon. It's just starting. You see it in banks with sustainability taking a big focus. Uh, other non-financial aspects could be aspects around social aspects, diversity aspects. How does that play into investment portfolios? I don't think we've seen anyone coming up with some good ideas around that just yet. And um, yeah, I think that the the idea with this interconnectivity coming back to that, it's just uh, APIs, big one. So there's been some movements in um, in Switzerland recently with uh, something called the Open Wealth Association, which is a proposed API standard. So their idea is to kind of get the different vendors from technology vendors to uh, custody providers to all agree on an API standard, making these a little bit more interoperable. Uh, so I think that that's super interesting. And we've also seen a lot of this kind of API work done in, in areas, Scandinavia, where I'm based being one of them, where banks traditionally might not have provided those the access directly to their services, but you had to go through an API vendor. So there's API gateway here in this in Scandinavia, where a lot of tech providers connect to uh, banks or custody providers through these APIs that are provided by an external vendor. So I think that APIs, definitely specialization, definitely, and impact uh, being three areas or trends that that's seeing a lot of um, traction right now. Within that specialization, you mentioned the non-financial uh, technology solutions. Does, and then I assume that includes like governance and workflow and all these other areas that and probably have a lot of lay, uh, you know, overlay with what's going on and overlap, I should say, with uh, just normal business operations. Wh- what do you think about that space, and and where is adoption uh, today in that area? It's definitely it is it's just trends, normal business trends in general, and how does that play into family offices? So I think this is this part of this mind shift change in family office that's that's not something that's kind of hidden and secretive anymore it's something that's saying we're actually just running a fully diversified holding company operation and we need to subscribe to what's happening in business today so do is it is it about transparency is it about good governance is it about proper communication is it about uh, solid ownership strategies and agreements so these are all aspects of business that we are seeing uh flowing into the family office area, especially with new, you know, coming back to these these founders that might be exiting and wanting to do their next stint in a family office format, they would have been used to these ideas around, you know, a tech startup that needs to look at uh, diverse employment, needs to look at, you know, what is our impact on the world and be in that that lens and that spotlight all the time around, uh, you know, data security, for example, these are the mindset of people going into family office today. So I think that that is definitely directly uh, playing a major role in the new family office uh, operations that we'll see coming online. So how do you balance that specialization with just the general trends that are there? Do, do, does the family office world in the technology world need a specific solution that closely matches what's already existing out there? Does it have to be? And this is a good question for both of you as well. I mean, sometimes that 
it could be a challenge uh, to to build something so hyper specialized. Would could it not be better to leverage an existing technology? Maybe put something on there that's uh, more pointed towards this group. Group, if 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 what you guys are saying is that their needs are mirroring a lot of what you're seeing in in the, the rest of the business world. Uh, how do you how do you balance between the specialization and and functionality? Yeah, I think uh, it, it's tough to compete with like the the very clearly you know I'll name I'll name one technology here that, that I think is that every single family office and probably a lot of the multifamily offices really use, uh, which is super flexible and um, really very easy to use. You know, a lot of people you know, even outside of the industry know how to use this technology. It's called Microsoft Excel. Um, it's this cool Microsoft. I'm just kidding, right? It, it's, uh, it, the, the, unfortunately, I'm kind of not kidding, but I'm kidding is that is that the cost to to build slash, even if you're an a, a entrepreneur and you want to build a cool fintech company, like the, to, to out-customize and ubiquitize Microsoft Excel is incredibly difficult. Um, you've got to be able to play into access to data and then, and then machining that data to do something with it that Excel does not do because everyone has Microsoft Excel. You can lock Microsoft Excel up and make it as secure with passwords and locate it wherever. I know it sounds, you know, completely derogatory to a tech conversation, but the bar for technology to come in and and be everything to everyone and automate everything, this like this this like white horse riding over the the hilltop is not going to happen. Every family office is its own family office. It does not look like the next one down the road. And none of them want to change what they do or what they find important to match the supply of technology in general. Some do a little, but usually they don't. And 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 often because they're not CTOs, they don't know the cost of the decisions that they make long term. They just say, this is how we want to run it. Find a tool that'll run it. Oh, no tool runs it. Back to Microsoft Excel. That's sort of the, that's like the, the circle logic of so many of these conversations that we have, um, and I don't think it's coming. And it sounds terrible, but I don't think it's coming. And there are things that we can we can leverage, like robotic process automation, which is which is cool, and you can actually use it in Microsoft Excel. You can use it to basically hop around your different tools and automate the things that you have someone in your staff doing on a daily basis, uh, validating uh, deposits versus you know transactions versus checks that came in versus QuickBooks. Like robotic process automation can do what a person can do as long as it doesn't have to think that hard. Um, you know, I totally agree with uh, Francois that, that the ESG technology is coming. I think people are going to be using a lot more of it. Even if it's not ESG in terms of environmental social governance, but just impacts and correlations of assets and and uh, and their wealth. I think that's also um, technology that, that clearly a Microsoft itself can't do, or at least not yet. Um, and that's coming as well. You mentioned some of the uh, one of the issues around co- consolidated reporting there, Doug, uh, why hasn't anyone solved that issue? It still remains a, a perennial concern for a lot of family offices. You know, what's, what do you see in that space that can be a solution um, and, or make that more ubiquitous as the other example that you provided? Yeah. It, good, good question. So uh, access to, valuations. How much do I own? Where is it? You know, what happened to it, et cetera. That, that, that is one uh, fairly easy use case. That's an important use case that can be supplied. Francois talked about PCR. That's an example of a firm that we like a lot. Um, there, are, there are two forms of data aggregation in, in our industry right now that in general forms, you've got 
those that are going to go out and basically scrape whatever's there. And those that with technology, typically with technology only. And then you've got those that are going to actually do a little bit of scraping and looking, but it's just really just low cost people behind the door. Right. And so the, the low cost people, that is PCR's model. Typically um, they would, I mean, I'm sure they would argue that they've got cool technology too, but by and large, that's kind of what it is. You see a lot of fund accounting firms that do this as well. We like, um, uh, strata data in Utah is very similar as well, where they've got a lower cost way to have smart people look at your data and calculate the valuations and transactions so you can use that data in a more systematized way in a reporting system or a GL accounting system or et cetera. So that, that's that's aggregation. Um, the screen scrape ones that are using terms like artificial intelligence and machine learning to look at uh, documentation have a long way to go. If you've got a lot of simplicity, you're using you know one main private equity or hedge funds for all of your your reporting and all your all of your family assets and that template doesn't change that much frankly the OCR stuff could work for you or where you have multiple different providers that are constantly changing or don't even have a template that they're supplying you their your your estimates and your um your your uh, data back the, the AI will break constantly and it's just a, it's more of a frustration than anything else so we've seen people like both be successful with both and fail with both those two models um those are coming and they're available and they've come down so much in cost. I would say in the last like four years, the, the ability to have, uh, I think one of the, the people, you know, people, uh, companies that look at your data with, with humans and, and, and key whack that data into, into your systems, they used to be charging in the, the 200s per position per year, quite heavy. Um, that's come down under a hundred dollars now. Um, and it's actually now competing human capital ones are competing with the, the tech, only ones for cost. They actually have come much more closer to parity in terms of cost. Um, and so it's it's a real real competition, which I love to see. Um, but uh, the, 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 it's very much approachable now for even for single family offices to start to look at this technology. Francois, your perspective on the future of family office technology, both on the hardware and software perspective and platforms and integrations and other things that you see out there, where, where do you think we're going to be in the next five years? Eddie, I think I agree with Doug on this. The the opportunity around enhancing data is a big one. So it is about uh, the end goal with all of this is that a family office wants to have a single source of truth. So where is that single source of truth? Uh, Be it in Excel or be it in other external tools that connect with Excel or Excel connecting with this or uh, specific stack products in a tech stack. You want to make sure that you have this kind of single source of truth. So getting to that would most likely for the foreseeable future require quite a bit of human input. And is this something that you want to build uh, in-house? Is this something where you want to hire a bunch of guys that can actually you know, work this data and operate the software for you? Or is this something where you could use an external service to, to manage that for you? So. This could be data input, could be enhancing data using both your own uh, data or external data sources. So I think that there is this this you know trend towards getting closer to a single source of truth uh, within your reporting, but also this data enhancement part I think is a major one. All right, let's uh, let's end our conversation on lessons learned, and for both of you. Uh, Doug and Francois, what's something that you wish you had known uh, when you got started working in the family office space versus what you actually know today? 
and and talk to us about how that could potentially be helpful. Doug, let's start with you. You know, I, I think my first, I said one of the most valuable lessons uh, in in maybe this is just talking and working with family offices is that that they seem like big financial companies. They're just families. They're just families that have the same problems that a lot of you know non uh, ultra high net worth families typically have. Those problems get amplified with money for certain. Like we can talk for days about the 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 issues that are caused by you know uh, money and wealth and and generational wealth transfer. Um, but they are just people at the end of the day, and I think that they have they don't stop being humans with expectations about how they want to engage. Uh, some of the generational differences around what they're expecting. Um, it's the same things in the rest of in the rest of our lives. And so, thinking through, you know, thinking ahead, trying to get around a couple corners so that we're laying a good foundation for these firms into the future. It's it's understanding the culture of the family, understanding um, kind of what they, why they're here, what they're trying to accomplish with their family, what sort of what touchstones within that that wealth we can we can hit on, and then use the technology and the experience to help to to amplify that. I think that's, you know, it, it's it's easy to come in and take a very clinical approach, but I think when you when you sit down and you talk to the, the the members of the family and the family office individuals about what they're trying to accomplish and kind of how they got there, uh, amazing tapestry of color and expectation come out of it. And from a, from a technology standpoint, I love that because if someone gives me something very specific and very, you know, emotional and very sort of tied to tied to the family, Technology can usually come in and do a really good job of amplifying that. That we get into more trouble when, when we have a general, hey, just modernize me. Well, why? And and how? What does that look like? And it's a very harder harder target to hit. So yeah, I think in 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 just the human side of of the family and and humanizing their technology and humanizing um, what they're trying to get out of it is is the thing that I've learned to 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 literally lead with in these conversations. Francois. Uh, I think I've learned I've learned quite a lot of lessons in my career, and uh, I mean most of them more general than just re- relevant to family offices. But coming from a technology background, I think that uh, a, a big lesson has been that you shouldn't take this technology first approach necessarily, but looking at you know the humans, like Doug said, and that kind of plays on, out into the space of being curious about uh, new ways of solving problems and being able to build solutions around that really fast. So rather than talking about kind of solutions, just creating some some solutions or prototypes or tools. So it's really about having people around you that can create new solutions. I think that is kind of a super powerful uh, thing to have going forward as well. Um, whether it is technology or whether it is kind of non-technology solutions or offline solutions, I think that that's, that remains to be seen, but yeah. Thank you, Francois, and thank you, Doug. And thanks to all of you for listening in today. If you'd like to get in touch with Francois or Doug, you know, uh, or you have any questions, do send us an email to familyoffice at dentons.com. If you enjoyed today's conversation, so inclined, subscribe to the channel, review us on Apple Podcasts, follow us on Spotify, or keep in touch with us wherever you prefer to listen to podcasts. As always, sharing this episode is much appreciated and probably the best way you can show your support to sign up for our newsletters and learn more about our solutions and research in the family office space, do check out our website. That is dentons.com forward slash family office. That's it. Bye everyone.